ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, aliens of all shapes, sizes, colors, ages, and those visiting from the shadow realm that wish to listen to our podcast. Hello everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of the internet's most hated mafia-themed geek podcast, Long Coat Mafia Podcast. It is I, the one, the only Reverend Godfather, a.k.a. the Martinsburg Madman, a.k.a. This show's frontman and main host. Alright folks, due to a couple things that came up that are important to both me and Sasha individually, there is going to be no episode featuring me and Sasha, the Princess of Darkness, this week. But we are talking to schedule a recording this upcoming weekend, whether it be Friday, Saturday, or our usual Sunday time. To talk about probably FNAF, the uh, what took place at Ravenwood the, um, at the end of October, the whole nine yards, and plus a whole lot more that needs to be talked about. Uh, what that's going to be, I don't know, but uh, there's a will be good chance we'll be running into the whole gambit of a two-hour, three-hour podcast, uh, going over a lot of different stuff. Uh, but we will get into it. But in regards to what you'll be hearing tonight, it's our usual Monday night uh, covert, covert cast episode that we've been dropping for all of you to enjoy. Uh, just keep in mind for all you new listeners out there that the covert cast is a defunct podcast. It hasn't been relevant for, I want to say, close to 10 years, if not more than 10 years. Um we have been using Covert Cast as kind of a filler as we get into uh, our stuff ready for the upcoming episodes for with me and Sasha. Uh, the reason why we're doing it this week or keeping up with that is because we still want y'all to have something to listen to on our end for it. Uh, we might drop a video episode uh, that we have banked. Uh, on our YouTube channel for you guys and gals out there to enjoy. But with uh, the Covert Cast, it, it, i also been classifying the Covert Cast as a lost media episode. One, again, because it's defunct. Two, you cannot find it anywhere but here right now uh, with us on our Podbean channel and our usual outlets and so forth and so on and in this particular episode the guys uh talk about the philadelphia experiment now you'll probably they'll probably go into a lot of the pop culture details and all that but uh a lot of folks have talked about it mainly on uh coast to coast am uh you've heard uh the interview maybe we could dig that interview up and see uh let you guys and gals hear the 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 weirdness that is the Albilic interview. Uh, man, it is weird. We might even attach it to this so you can all hear it. Uh, not to mention, uh, uh, there were two movies based on the Philadelphia Experiment or the legend behind it. So I'm going to back off and let the guys go in, into it. So uh, what more can I say? But hey, George, hit the button. We'll be right back with more of the Long Coat Mafia podcast. 
Welcome to episode 7 of the Covert Cast of thecovertcast.com. We're your host, I'm the man, and this is Dusty. Yes, I am the Dusty. How you doing this week, Dusty? I am doing fantastic. <laughs> Good, you didn't say <laughs> I'm ready to get this started. You know that intro music there? It, it like The beginning like kind of breaks me down a little bit, but then it like pumps me up at the end. The pumps intro music at the end, yeah, it pumps me up. Yeah. It gets me <laughs> now, ready to start now, the episode. Let, 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 let me give fair warning to any of our covert cast listeners that aren't regular listeners of Slacker and a Man, which you should be. But uh, this week we're doing it. Normally we record the covert cast before Slacker and a Man. This week we're recording because I, my job schedule's changed. I actually have to work the days we record now, so we're recording it after Slacker and a Man. So it's going to be a bit of a transition for us to go from Slacker and a Man mode to Covert Cast. We also, uh, this was a last minute decision. Uh, we're also doing this one live, so you'll hear us talk to the chat room some. Um, you know, and we may decide to start doing this live. Yeah, this is just kind of a test run. It's something yeah. Slacker and the Man chat room wanted to do. And so, yeah, so yeah. We're, we're trying out the chat room. So if you hear it, you know, if you hear us talking about the chat room and whatnot like that, that's why. Um, if we do start doing uh, these live, they'll be like 11.30 Sunday night. Yeah, or unless we do a special one on Saturday night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll let you know. From now on, we'll, uh, this, is, uh, this is episode 7, Mjolnir, and this one's going to be about the Philadelphia Experiment. Um, I don't know why I said it like that. Don't look at me like that. Um, I'm not judging. You are judging. I Always am judging, judging me. Judging you in my um, eyes. And I know you're gay. Um, <laughs> because I just quoted Wedding Crashers. Was that Wedding or, Crashers? No, not Wedding Crashers. Uh, old School. Old School. Yeah. All right. So this week, like I said, is about the Philadelphia Experiment. Um, let's do a little bit of background on it for people that don't know what the Philadelphia Experiment was. Um, it was supposedly carried out at the Philadelphia Naval Shipyard in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, sometime around October 28, 1943. Yeah. Um, the U.S. Navy destroyer escort USS Eldridge was to be rendered invisible or cloaked to enemy devices. The experiment is also referred to as Project Rainbow. Which evidently Rainbow meant something different back then than it does now. Mm. Well, it probably has to reference to doing with shifting the light spectrum to make the ship effectively I know, invisible. It was a gay joke. Yeah, um, I got it. Uh, it was based on an aspect of the unified field theory, a term coined by Albert Einstein. The unified field theory aims to describe mathematically and physically the interrelated nature of the forces that compromised electromagnetic radiation and gravity. Yeah. There's also a big conspiracy that goes along with this that the government actually, that uh, Einstein actually uh, got a lot further with his unified field theory than is publicly known, and the government suppressed it. Well, I mean, there's also people say that Einstein himself suppressed it because he felt it would be too dangerous. Yeah, so. Um, and then, let's see, uh, researchers thought that some variation of this unified theor- field theory would be uh, would uh, would enable the Navy <laughs> to use large electrical generators to bend light around an object so that it became completely invisible. The Navy would have regarded this as being of obvious military value, so it sponsored the experiment. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean if you can render this, they're is still World sponsoring invisibility. Yeah, you know, I mean, well, we know we know uh, now with no no conspiracy theory stuff to it. They're still working on it's basically the predator cloak. Yeah, and it's on like a rain poncho. You can put on this poncho, and basically it takes a picture in front of you and behind you, and projects those images on this cloak. Yeah, in the you know in the relative space. I mean, yeah, they really are working on visibility cloak, but this one, the one they're working on, does a slightly different. Um, 
Basically, like I said, that one takes the the real one they're working on now takes a picture in front of behind you and projects that picture yeah. onto the cloak. This is actually or onto the rain poncho. This actually is taking a electromagnetic generator or electric generator to actually bend light around the object to render it invisible. Yeah, which is more more, more along the lines of like a Star Trek cloak. Yeah. Um which is a little more high tech than what they're working on now. I mean, uh, the destroyer escort USS Eldridge was fitted with the required equipment at the Philadelphia Naval Yard. Testing began in the summer of 1943, and it was successfully successful to a limited degree. One test on July 22, 1943, resulted in the Eldridge being rendered almost completely invisible, with some witnesses reporting a greenish fog appearing in its place. Crew members complained of severe nausea afterwards. Also, it is said that when the ship uh, reappeared, some sailors were embedded in the metal structures of the ship, including one sailor who ended up on a deck level below that where he began, and had his hand embedded in the steel hull of the ship. At that point, the experiment was altered at the request of the Navy, with the new objective being solely to render the Eldridge invisible Invisible. to radar. Um, My first question I have is, why a green fog? Where would the green fog come from? I mean, if you take... Take it and boil, you know, let, let's take, uh, um, boil it down to what we know is possible. Well, they are over the ocean, I mean. But where would a green, why green? I mean, would it have, well, okay, I, I'm a huge, for people that aren't Slacker and Man listeners, we're comic book fans, right? Yeah. Let, let me put it like this as a possibility. When Nightcrawler teleports, yeah. he leaves a huge purple cloud, right? Okay. And that's because he actually goes through one dimension to another to bend time and space. And that's part of the atmosphere of the other dimension, right? Mm. So if the Eldridge somehow bended time and space, could this be something that something to do with the displaced air or something like that? Well, I'm also thinking, um, all right, the color green is the one color human eye can distinguish the most variations of. I did not know that. I wonder if it has something to do with that. Like, that's why night vision goggles are in green. Because the human eye can distinguish okay. more, you know, gr- different different shades of green. So I wonder if there was something there that was just like the only thing the human eye could actually perceive was the green hue left behind, as opposed to other stuff that was just too light or, you know, the human eye just couldn't pick up. Okay, I'll, I'll give you yeah. that. Um, as far as the uh, the uh, and I have more of the history here, but before we go on, uh, as far as the uh, crew members being fused to the bulkhead. Uh, that could have to do with, you know, if this actually happened, that could have to do with uh, them uh, phasing out of sync with the rest of the ship. Yeah. You know, it's a, you know, if this happened the way it said it happened, that's a very plausible outcome of the of the event. The movie um, and book, Men Who Stare at Goats, one, I mean, which was um, based on actual studies done by the government, right. or one of them is like actually moving a physical object through a solid object, and the idea is that is because there's there's and then you know there's spaces between like even a solid object has spaces in between it, and like they believe like if you can get just the right frequency of one object to like not be synced up with another one, you could actually physically go through it. Okay. So I wonder if something along those lines where like the deck, the metal of the deck wasn't you know synced up with the the frequency the people on it were actually at, so some of them actually phased through it. Uh, uh, chaff in the chat room saying is we're hardwired to see green from an evolutionary. Uh, or from evolution, it's a priority to see eligible or to see edible food. I, I'm a little drunk from Slacker and a Man, that's why I'm <laughs> fucking up so many words. Um, but uh, in a, the chat room, their explanations they're given for the green cloud is swamp gas. <laughs> yeah, on the ocean. And uh, an interaction with salt water to the field from the ship. 
Yeah. Which, you yeah, know, yeah, that's not very possible. Um, Alright, let's see. Uh, the equipment was not properly recalibrated, but in spite of this, the experiment was repeated on October 28, 1943. This time, the Eldridge not only became invisible, but she physically vanished from the area in a flash of blue light and teleported to Norfolk, Virginia, over 200 miles away. It is claimed that the Eldridge sat for some time in full view of men aboard the ship uh, SS Andrew Furseth, whereupon the Eldridge vanished from their site and then reappeared in Philadelphia at the site it had originally occupied. It was also said that the warship traveled back in time for about 10 seconds. Many versions of the tale include descriptions of serious side effects for the crew. Some crew members were said to have been physically fused to the bulkheads, while others suffered from mental disorders, and still others supposedly simply vanished. It's also claimed that ship's crew may have been subjected to brainwashing in order to maintain the secrecy of this experiment. It's also been claimed that some of the members later on that were okay like mysteriously disappeared like there was a couple like in the middle of a bar fight just disappeared altogether. Well now I mean, the the actual explanation on some of the debunking websites I read said that him that they you know they could go through with evidence and prove that uh <laughs> The uh, the guy was very good friends with one of the barmaids at the bar, and she whisked him out the back door so that he wouldn't be arrested. Mm. Possibility, and you're drunk, and you know the person could duck out, and you to all your you know yeah they disappeared. Well, but. one of the most interesting aspects of the Philadelphia experiment I found out during the research for this episode, which I, I'll admit I didn't get to do near as much as I wanted to, is a gentleman by the name of Al Allen. Uh, Carlos Miguel Allend? No, 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 no. Uh, Al Balik. Oh, Al Balik. Okay. B-I-E-L-E-K. Um, Mr. Balik actually lives here in Florida now. I tried to get in contact with him, but his phone number has changed. Mm. I have his physical address, but not a phone number. So um, I even looked him up online and stuff, and they list his address, but not a phone number. So, But he's living in an assisted fil- a living facility now. So, um the first part of Mr. Balick's story, <laughs> well, uh, let me let me recount, re- recount what I can remember from memory about his story, because um, I didn't get to finish my notes. Um, basically, he saw the, the, in 1989, or 88 or 89, there was a movie, a Hollywood movie called The Philadelphia Experiment, right? Yeah. Then a sequel in 93. But Mr. Balick, when he saw the movie in the 80s, he suddenly had a flood of memories he never had before, according Mm -hmm. to him. This is all his story. And he remembered being part of the experiment on the USS Eldridge, right? Yeah. Um, Once he got further and got with some other people, he actually remembered being a part of that. He remembered being part of the Montauk Project, which needs to be another episode of... I'm not going to go into a whole lot on the Montauk. That needs to be a whole other episode of the Covert Cast. Have you ever read anything on that? Not that specifically, but the more I started reading into the Philadelphia experiment, the more I started seeing other stuff that we need to go into, you know. Just yeah, I mean, that's, uh, yeah, the Montauk Project is, a, Camp Hero and the Montauk Project is a whole other ball of wags, which is tied mm-hmm. into, supposedly a lot of the people involved in the Philadelphia experiment, they moved directly from that to the Montauk Project, Camp Hero in Long Island. But anyway, once he got his memories unlocked, he claims that uh, he worked on the Philadelphia experiment, was moved to Camp Hero, yada, yada, yada. The government realized he knew too much, mm-hmm. so he was born, he said he was originally born in, like, 1916. They, <laughs> they have time and space tunnels, mm-hmm. right? According to him at, uh, at uh, Project Montauk Camp Hero, they have time and space tunnels. They also have the ability to physically and mentally regress him to the age of one years old. And they placed him with another family. 
which is the Blale- the Balick family, the one he you know now hails from. And he worked again in the twenties. They, they sent him back to one years old in the twenties, and uh, he again worked on the Montauk project as uh, Mr. Balick. Instead, I think Cameron was his last name originally, according to him. Mm. Then he still again worked on the Montauk project, and basically the Montauk project it went everything according to him from uh, dealing with UFOs to uh, Mars. According to him, we actually have a colony on Mars now. Um, and the thing is, there's four or five other people when he started talking that came forward and remembered the same thing. As far-fetched as some of this sounds, yeah. which, you know, when when was the original Stargate movie released? Uh, hold on, hold on. Let, late let me, 90s, I think, or mid-90s. Let me look, let me look. Stargate was released in, uh, see, I have the Wikipedia up, I just have to find, uh, <laughs> film, Stargate. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. 94. Yeah, 90, okay, He came forward in 89. Right? And, and and produce this whole story. Dude, I gotta tell you, half the stuff he talks about that went on at Project Montauk at Camp Hero sounds just like Stargate, man. Even the alien races he describes sounds like a lot of the alien races from Stargate. As far as the Asgardians and the Collectors and the Gould and all that, it's very... The time tunnels sound a lot like the Stargates. So, which, and, and you know, it's funny to me, if you're a fan of the Stargate uh, franchise, it, that actually happened on Stargate that, yeah. you know, they actually made a TV show about it in that universe. What was it <laughs> called? Wormhole Extreme? Yeah, Wormhole Extreme. So, you know, it, it would be funny if, come to find out one day all this was true, <laughs> and Stargate was something made by the government to... Make it the point yeah. of that well, if anyone ever comes forward. Well, you forward. realize that uh, Stargate is the uh, first feature film that a United States a branch of the United States military uh, film and TV series they've officially endorsed and involved themselves in. The Air Force is actually involved with the production of um, Stargate. So, I mean, if you're going on that thought process, you know that that does lend a little well, I mean, bit like of credence the, to that. Well, yeah, like with Wormhole Extreme and Stargate. They let the show keep going because if anyone came forward, because with then it, they could say, "Oh, this is it's that just TV a TV show." show yeah. But uh, Mr. Balick, you know, he's got he's been on uh, several radio shows. He does conferences and stuff. He's been on Coast to Coast several times, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know, uh, the Coast to Coast stuff. I actually have it. I didn't realize I had it until <laughs> like literally what five minutes before the show started. Yeah. Um, one of our good listeners, uh, Reverend Chris, actually sent a coast-to-coast interview with me, which I'm still going to listen to because this is an interesting Yeah, forward that to me since Rev didn't send it to me. Which, okay, okay, know. will do. Um, In the future, Rev, please send it to me, too. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, sent it to covertcast well, at gmail.com. The, the, the I always thing check is, it. he sent it to the Slacker and a Man email, and yeah. I get so much email on there. I, I Shit gets lost, honestly. Oh, yeah. All the time. Stuff for Slacker and a Man emails that I should have read on the show get lost all the time, and just in the mix of everything, but... Um, but, so, getting back to the Philadelphia Experiment, uh, let, let's talk, um, let's talk the actual feasibility of this actually work. Bending light to mm-hmm. make it, render it invisible. You know, everything, uh, everything science fiction, when they have a cloaking device, normally, the Predators works like the one they're working on now. Takes yeah. a picture in front and back and post. But, like, on Star Trek, and even Star Wars and the Expanded Universe books, stuff like that, it all works on bending light. Yeah. So, feasibility from what you and I know about what's feasible at this point, is it possible? I think it is possible, but... With the correct technology and knowledge? I think so. I mean, um... Well, look at now. Even with the right weather conditions and time of day, 
Sometimes islands on the ocean can appear to disappear. Now, that's that's a very good point. Because of the way just light acts sometimes. I mean... So, I mean, I, I do think it is feasible. I mean, would they have technology then? I mean, it's hard to say. Well, you got to realize, too, that's something you got to think about. Is a lot of the technology we're getting now was developed in World War II for the war, and it's yeah. even just now still rolling out stuff. I mean, look at this, some of the electronics and communication stuff that was invented for the military in World War II, the military and the SOS and yeah. all, for World War II that we were just getting in the 80s and 90s. So, I mean, you know, the United States government, love them or hate them, they do, they, they, they're involved in some shady stuff. Yeah, I mean, you also got to realize, you know, for every bit of what seems like high-tech technology that comes out, the government probably has something about ten times more technologically advanced, you know, that they're True. not rolling out because of cost or just secrecy, you know, just... One of the biggest things for me, and I, I believe with the proper knowledge and technology, it would be completely possible even in the 40s. Uh, one of the things for me, though, is it kind of a double-edged sword. I believe I, I actually uh, the Navy actually has a, an entry on their website for the Philadelphia experiment. Mm-hmm. Um, let me let me find that real quick. Well, they've you know over the years they've gotten so many requests you know for the logs from that time period and. Their stance is it was never even in Philadelphia. Well, the the thing is, the uh, Eldridge, according to the Navy, I, I got to find the article here. According to the Navy, the uh, <laughs> the Eldridge wasn't even uh, wasn't even launched until after the experiment mm. even happened. But like I said, that's kind of a, a double edged sword too, because if the Navy was trying to cover it up. Mm. Of course they're going to say that. Yeah, I mean, it's not like it was hard to change logs back then. I mean, it was lose a piece of paper and, you know, recreate. But according to the Navy's official logs, you know where its first tour of duty was to? Or where its first trip was to? Where? Bermuda. Bermuda? (laughs) What's in Bermuda? The Triangle. Hey, there's another future episode. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff behind the Bermuda Triangle. (laughs) The Bermuda Triangle is another one of those we could probably stretch to two episodes if we wanted to. They they claimed it was never in Philadelphia, but... um, it, it appeared in Norfolk, Virginia, 200 miles away. Yeah. At one point, according to your logs, it was in Norfolk, uh, Virginia. Well, one of the other things I saw that actually tried to debunk the uh, Philadelphia experiment says that uh, at the time of World War II, you know, of course, we were taking pretty heavy, uh, heavy, uh, I'm reading the chat room, I'm sorry, it says technical manufacturing like Sony and Apple, et cetera, are always 10 years ahead in designs from what they release in current products. I I believe that. Yeah. But uh, according to them, you know, we were taking heavy casualties from uh, Germans on the off the coast, you know, with our boats and stuff. And there was all these secret channels along the East Coast for ch- ships to travel along the coast. And that, you know, the Eldridge going from Philadelphia to Norfolk would have went quicker than anybody would have expected to have been possible because the channels weren't public knowledge. Mm-hmm. Which you have to think, too, news traveled so much slowly, or so much slower back then than it does now. There was no internet. You know, the basically radio and serials in front of movies were their source to spread news and word of mouth. Oh, I know one thing they, the the Navy points to for a possible explanation for where the confusion came from for the Philadelphia experiment is the ships had something they called uh, degaussing, I believe. Yeah, degausser. degausser. To uh, try to make it to where the magnetic mines wouldn't attach to the ship. Yeah. But they would activate that. It would take away the magnetic field of the ship and the magnetic mines wouldn't come to it, but... They point to that, saying maybe the guy got confused, and that's what he was thinking of. Or, yeah, but I mean, I mean that doesn't explain a ship disappearing. There's a lot of people that came forward that have eyewitness testimony yeah. about the Philadelphia experiment. And there's I even mean, people come forward claiming they've been worked on. They, you know, like was actually one of the scientists behind it. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, Tesla. According to the, some of the stuff I read, 
Uh, Tesla was originally uh, the the first failed experiment Tesla was on board for, mm-hmm. and the Navy pissed him off, so he pur- and wouldn't release him from his contract. So he purposely uh, didn't calibrate the equipment properly, and it mm-hmm. didn't work. So the Navy figured him useless and released him from the contract. Well, then the Navy tried to go forward with the experiment without Tesla, and that's where the fuck up happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which. Yeah, it sounds like a very government thing to do. Tesla died like two years before this the Philadelphia experiment itself happened, but well, but I mean, the failed experiment beforehand, which yeah. what well, you know, I, uh, but I, well, the chat room says they doubt Tesla failed, but if he was doing it on if, purpose yeah. to get out of the contract, I have no doubt about. it. Dude, we could do a whole episode on Tesla. You he realize was that, a right? brilliant man, and dude. There's he, a lot of stuff. You want to hear a funny story? What? You know, how I first found out about Tesla. How? You ever played the Red Alert or Command and Conquer games? Uh-uh. Well, they have a Tesla coil on there, and oh. it's, it's a basically a defense game, or, or uh, RTS defense game, you know? Mm-hmm. Tesla coil's this big electrical tower you put up, and if an enemy comes into range, it zaps them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm like, Tesla coil, that's awesome. Which, of course, I made the giggle jokes about testicles, Tesla coil. Yeah. But then I reached, I looked him up, you know, online after that, and it's like, oh, shit. Dude, Tesla was so far ahead of a lot of people. You know, you know Einstein, and well, not even Einstein, but... um. Edison, yeah, a lot Tom of the stuff Edison did over. got uh, uh, Tesla originated. Yeah, but I mean Tesla, he came up with wireless electricity. Yeah, I mean Which he was a brilliant man. Today, yeah. Well, that's where the Tesla coils come from. Was the wireless electricity? That's, yeah, you know, the I mean, real life Tesla coils. You were... could uh, transfer electricity through the ground itself without needing you know telephone poles and. Well, you still had to have the poles, but yeah. there was no wires. Basically, what it was is you would have this these poles spread out so far, and the electricity was conducted through the ground and through the atmosphere itself, and as long as whatever you were powering was close enough to this coil, you had power wirelessly. Yeah. Which I know... Um, that's that's one of the things that uh, they're working on it now. They're working it on it now. I, I saw a thing on uh, on uh, online. I watched a video. I wish I could find it again, real quick. But uh, is it the one where he lit up the light across the room? No, no, no. Or? This is one for a, a wireless electricity within a vehicle. Basically, mm-hmm. they can wire your vehicle properly, and as long as you're within the vehicle, your mobile device, your cell phone, your tablet, your iPod, all that stuff is charged. Yeah. As long as you're in the vehicle, dude, that would be awesome. Well, I, thought, I would spend a fortune to have that now. Well, there was a company started in 2006. There. It's it's like some like Wi-Fi electricity combo name like Y electricity or Ytricity. I think it's Ytricity, but they actually have it where like it's it puts out enough power to where you could have a, a an electric car and like it would charge from your house, charge up the car. It would actually transfer that amount of electricity to power the or charge the car up itself. Oh wow! There's a timeline for if you look at if Wikipedia if you look up well, wireless electricity on Wikipedia, the timeline starts in 1820. Damn! Well, yeah, there was a guy <laughs> who experimented with it before Tesla even came along. Andre Marie Ampere develops Ampere's law, showing that electrical current produces a magnetic field. And then in 1831, Michael Faraday develops Faraday's law of induction. Okay, well that's that's where. Damn, the electrical transformer was invented in 1836. Damn. Dude, that's amazing to, to think that, that something like the electrical transformer was invented that far ahead of when there actually became a viable use for them. Uh, 1891, Tesla improves Hertz Wave Wireless Transmitter RF Power Supply or Exciter in his plant. You yeah. know, Thomas Edison cheated Tesla out of a lot of money. I do wonder what Tesla would have came up with had he had the funds to really, you know... Go wild with his ideas and come up with new stuff. But 
Actually, it says right here in 1894, Tesla lights incandescent lamps wirelessly at the 35 South Fifth Avenue Laboratory in New York City by means of electrodynamic induction. And that was in 1894. Yeah. Over 100 years ago, wireless electricity. And- in 1896, he demonstrates wireless transmission over a distance of 30 miles. 30 miles, dude. Wireless electricity over a distance of 30 miles. And now they're just getting to the point where they can do it within a vehicle? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> some, I mean I'm mean, i not a mathematician, but something doesn't add up there. It's, it's like I said, it's, I mean, it's amazing the, electri- the technology that gets suppressed, you know, for in favor for other stuff for who knows what reasons. I mean, they've shown they can do wireless electricity safely. I mean... Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's retarded that we don't have it now. I mean, the technology has been there for over 100 years, according to this. Yeah. But anyway, getting back to the Philadelphia Experiment. <laughs> we get sidetracked, if you can't tell. Well, I mean, it, it does go back to the Philadelphia Experiment, where it just shows, I mean, some of the amazing stuff they've done back then, that it wouldn't be too far of a stretch that they could have gone a step further with some of the stuff and actually made what supposedly happened on the Philadelphia Experiment happen. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. Um... My question, okay, I have this question here. If the Philadelphia experiment happened the way it's reported to have happened, right? Mm. You're talking that was almost 70 years ago, right? Yeah. Why is it still being covered up? That's one of the questions I always ask with the older uh, older myths like this, uh, which you have to follow it under myth. Until more information comes forward yeah. to actually confirm it, you have to follow it as a myth. Why, 70 years later, is it still being covered up? I mean, there's also, I mean, if someone else got a hold of this and managed to perfect it, I mean, it could be dangerous. I mean, you could literally teleport something in the middle of anywhere you want, and, I mean, you got a bomb, you want to just put it somewhere, and no one ever knew where it came from. How scary would that be? Yeah. I mean, if we just had the technology, I'm cool with that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, especially something like this, where they couldn't really control, and... According to the chat room, there's a video of... uh, Thomas Edison killing an elephant. What? I, I kind of <laughs> want to watch that. Hold on. <laughs> as weird as that is, I kind of want to watch that. Hold on. Thomas Elephant. Or Thomas Elephant. Wow. All right, here. I'll put it on. All right, you've got an elephant being uh, led by a Chinaman. Very grainy black. Whoa, and white whoa, video. dude! Chinaman is not the preferred vernacular. It's better one I normally say. <laughs> if you listen to Slacker and a Man, you'll know what I'm talking about. This week's episode of Slacker and a Man. All right, there's an elephant chained up. Like it looks Aww. like a rail yard. Poor elephant. All right, he's still chained there. He's kind of scratching his paw, moving around. Someone needs to call Peter. Yeah, right. <laughs> Peter have a field day with this. Call Peter for um, you know a almost hundred year old video. <laughs> <laughs> oh, his, his feet are smoking. Oh, they're electrocuting oh now. Oh my god! Oh. Wow, that was really a downer. <laughs> I don't know what I expected when I played it, but that was Edison killing the elephant with Tesla's AC to make DC more prominent. I don't well, DC would have done, or either one would do the same thing. Yeah. Which I mean, you gotta think different time. You know, propaganda was done completely differently back then than it is now, but, yeah, I, I don't know. I Yeah, thanks, Mjolnir. <laughs> <laughs> what a downer. Um, okay, so Philadelphia Experiment. Uh, do you think the, the government, if, if it indeed happened, 
Are they still using a variation of that cloaking technology today? Mm, not that they were never able to perfect it. I mean, they may still go dabble with it occasionally, but I don't know. It just seems like they never really could get it to work properly if, you know, if they ever got it to work, you know, to begin with. They probably yeah. deemed it something too dangerous to mess with until they... You know, I used to be, honestly, I, I've known about the Philadelphia Experiment for a while. I knew what it was, obviously, and I never really give it much credence. But the more I research stuff for this show, especially, let, let's go with the JFK thing. Yeah. And see the amount of cover-up with that and the 9-11 thing. The amount of cover-up with that. You know, all oh, that stuff. Before JFK, or was it you? No, no, no. Before we, we do, were doing moon landing research before, but we say, decided to say that for later. You were one of the ones that were actually believing we didn't go. Well, yeah. And I'm saying the more we do research, the more we start to change our mind yeah, about my, things. Yeah, my opinion changes. But yeah. to see the uh, mm. the amount of cover-up that our government is capable of... Oh, yeah. Honestly, a lot of this stuff has a lot more credence now. Mm. I mean, some of Balak's stuff is a little... Yeah, you know, I, I don't know that I buy into the whole time tunnel thing. Yeah. And him going to Mars, and we have a colony on Mars, and... <laughs> Yeah, Him it, being transported a hundred and you know thousand years in the future, and I, a lot of that stuff I, I don't really buy into. But it, it doesn't help him that he you know suddenly didn't remember it until after seeing the movie. Yeah, well, and basically he said the movie was. You're getting a Facebook message. Am I? I thought I heard the Facebook message. Um, there. I got nothing on Facebook. My chat is closed on Facebook. Oh, okay. Well, is it your Facebook? No, I got it silenced. <laughs> Even if I get one, you won't hear it. Mm. But. uh... Where were we at before you interrupted us? <laughs> um, government, technology, cover-up. Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, <laughs> I just, uh, the more I oh, read... Oh, we were talking about the guy, you know, he didn't oh, realize Bayless. that there's yeah, 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 yeah. I, I don't buy into the whole alien thing, but the, uh, you know, the whole... Uh, Philadelphia experiment, I you know, I, I wouldn't doubt it. Especially during World War Two, man. Should, they were doing should, some freaky stuff in World War Two. We should send him an actual physical letter requesting the interview. Yeah, we should. I mean, go I'm pay sure. him a visit. I mean, he, he's fuck, dude. What? It, it's it's honestly from where we're at. Let's see, where's he at? From where we're at, he is in. Let's see, we're in Central Florida. He is in Inglewood, Florida. You realize that's about an hour and a half drive from here, right? Yeah. Why don't we send him a letter and see if we can go down there and actually physically interview? If he's still alive. Honestly, I don't know if the guy's still alive. Yeah. I mean, if he's still alive, he'd probably be up for an interview. I mean, he'd be just, 90-something years old now. Yeah. I mean, I, if he's still alive, I, 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 you know, I have no problem sending him a letter to uh, see if he's up for a phys- I'll go down there and let's do a video interview. Yeah. Or if he doesn't want to do video, just an audio interview, you know? I um, mean, it'd be cool to have someone, you know, that... And he's old. With these claims. the last interview. Yeah. <laughs> it's the elephant video again. <laughs> bring it down. Bring it down. <laughs> oh man! Well, you know what's fucked up about it? You know, the chat room's still going on about the elephant thing. Um, have you ever been to the uh, Edison home in Fort Myers? I have not. I went down there uh, several years ago as like a teenager. Um, one of the things I guess you could count it as a conspiracy theory. Um, when Edison first made his light bulbs, right, mm-hmm. the ones he used that everything we use now is based off of, right. He didn't use copper filament as the conductor inside the light bulb. He used bamboo. Mm. Um, the light bulbs he first invented and installed in his home are still burning today. There's also a uh, firehouse somewhere. I forget where it's at, but it has a light bulb that come directly from Edison with bamboo that is still burning today. Damn. Bamboo does not burn out. They purposely make these light bulbs with a copper filament that doesn't burn out. Mm. 
So that, you know, obviously, you have to, I mean, now you can get the energy savers that last forever. They last but, five to ten years. Or they say that. It doesn't last that long. Um, <laughs> but uh, but you can build them with bamboo, though, and it lasts forever. Mm. Edison hasn't been in his home in a hundred years, and that shit's still burning. They're not very bright, what he has now, but, I mean, it wouldn't be too much difficulty to upgrade them and still use the bamboo elements. And- yeah, I mean, with the, you know, the technology we have. All right, I'm going to type into Bing, uh, longest burning, and light I misspelled bulb. that. Burning. Is light bulb one word? Uh, I want to say two words. Okay, it is two words. Yeah. I was right. All right. Longest burning light bulb is at a firehouse in Livermore, California. Um, let's see. It's been burning for 110 years. Damn. <laughs> That's a light bulb that will outlast you and your kids. And honestly, dude, it's just a light bulb like on the side of the building. You know, in the inside of the building on the side. It's like not even in a prominent place in the building. But it is the longest burning light bulb right now. 110. They just celebrated the 110 year anniversary. Yet we, you know, the ones we buy now, they last. If you use it a lot, and that's continuous burning. They leave it on all the time. Yeah. If you leave one burning all the time now, you'll get, what, maybe a month at the most? I wonder if this, at this point they have to leave it burning all the time for fear it, you know, won't come It'll on the next out. time. Now, that's yeah. true. You would think the bamboo would burn out. I mean, you would think it would just eventually get to a point where it chars and disintegrates. Of course, I don't really know what the physical property of <laughs> bamboo goes. Maybe it has, um, like, a 200-year uh, shelf life. Yeah, right. That's going to suck at that 200th year. They'll have a little funeral for it and all that. <laughs> They'll have uh, get ready to celebrate the 200th year and it just goes out. Here we go. Snopes.com, which is a great website for debunking urban legends and stuff mm-hmm. like that. It says, a light bulb manufactured in 1901 has been con- burning continuously ever since. And it says, it's true. Uh, you'll find a remarkable light bulb burning a fire station in Livermore, California. It hasn't been turned off since 1901, shining around the clock. Uh, for nearly one million hours. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Anyway, back to the Philadelphia experiment. <laughs> now that we've gotten way the hell away <laughs> from the Philadelphia experiment. Um, I don't think we got too far. We're just going to show, you know, that there's technologies, technologies out there that kind of get ignored or overlooked and... Yeah, yeah, well, that's true. It says here on the Wikipedia that the Eldridge was not commissioned until August 27th, 1943, which was about, what, two months after it was mm-hmm. supposedly... Uh, um, it remained in New York City until September of 43. The supposedly. October experiment allegedly took place while the ship was on its first shakedown cruise in the Bahamas. Mm-hmm. Oh, so it was Bahamas, not Bermuda. My bad. <laughs> Although the proponents of the story claim ship's logs might be falsified or else still be classified... The Office of Naval Research stated in, in September of 1996, ONR has never conducted investigations on radar invisibility, either in 1943 or at any other time. That's bullshit. I'm going to call bullshit right now. Mm-hmm. The Office of Naval Research has never conducted any uh, any uh, experiments on uh, making the ships invisible to radar? Yeah, that definitely does not even sound remotely true. I mean, that sounds no. like they're going so far to try to debunk something, they're willing to blatantly lie. I mean... Even if the Philadelphia experiment itself never took place, I mean... To say we'd never tried to make it invisible to radar. Yeah. Uh, we know they've done it with planes. Why wouldn't they do it with ships? Yeah, I mean, they're going to try to do any advantage they can, you know, I mean... Uh, um... Uh, 
<laughs> on Wikipedia and the cultural references. Uh, remember I was talking about Command & Conquer Red Alert? Yeah. This is a computer game, Command & Conquer Red Alert, references this in a video regarding the Allied chronosphere, which in which footage is shown of a ship disappearing, then reappearing seconds later. One of the commander's remarks that some of the men on board died in the process is still experimental. I remember using the uh, chronospheres in Red <laughs> Alert. You're missing yeah. a lot by playing that, not playing that game. I guess. I mean, you. that's good uh, research, it seems like. Just next episode, I'm just going to play Command Conquer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> what could you do this way? I don't know. We're not going over Command Conquer game. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, uh, did you have anything else in your research we hadn't brought up yet? Um, hang on. Let me skim over my notes real quick. There's. They're numerous. Numerous? Numerous. Numerous. I don't mind telling you. I'm getting a little drunk. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. That's why I keep fucking up my words. I do all right unless I'm reading. Just talking... Or to myself, Maybe uh, next Covert Cast episode and Slacker on the Man episodes, you should um, string them out a little better instead of four and uh, within... Or three, four... Maybe I should just not mix them just as strong. Yeah, or that, you know. Whatever. (laughs) So what do you got, Dusty? We're waiting on you. I am you can do it. Coming. Come on. Whoa, uh, whoa, whoa. Nothing that we haven't really gone over. I mean, it's. Uh, see, I need to organize my notes better and just get like the key points and then That's what highlight them and go back. I mean, I just got everything, you know, my different links. Also, I do want to send a shout out to um, the blind JFK researcher, one of our Who listeners. Is not like blind, blind. Yes, he's, he's legally blind. Yes. But, but he actually like Ray Charles he blind. sent me some good notes on the Philadelphia experiment, which you know I added to my own. That where are they at? They're right in front of me. Well, I just I didn't mean, print them out. Yeah, I know. But they're in our email where I told you to look for them, like before the episode. Yeah, like two <laughs> seconds before the episode started, you're like, "Hey, have you checked the covert cast email?" I assumed you check the email on a regular basis. I don't. <laughs> I check the slacker demand one. Your responsibility is the covert cast one. If there's something pertinent, you're supposed to send it to me. Yeah, or at least make me aware where I can open the email and read it. <laughs> hey, uh, I did. I did. I just didn't do it in the time. Tell you what, make you deal. You all work right. 14 hours a day. All right, and deal with all the slacker demand stuff. And then I'll check just the covert cast stuff. Sounds like a plan. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm skimming my notes, but... Yeah, I'm not coming up with anything other than... I mean, there are, you know... I mean, this could possibly... There's the theory that, you know, this connection connected to uh, Project Paperclip. Which is... Project Paperclip. That's where they, you know... um, Recruited German scientists during World War Two to come work for us. And well, we know that's a fact. Yeah, but I'm saying they they believe you know some of the German scientists were linked with the Philadelphia experiment. It's, but yeah, Project Paperclip is a fact. I mean, it's something that did happen. I mean, we uh, Operation Project Paperclip was the Office of Strategic Services OSS program used to recruit the scientists in Nazi Germany for employment by the United States in the aftermath of World War Two. It was conducted by the Joint Intelligence Objectives Agency and in context of the burgeoning Soviet-American Cold War. One of the purposes of the Operation Paperclip was to deny German scientific knowledge and expertise to the USSR and the UK. Why were they deny it to the UK? They've pretty much been our allies since we kicked their ass, though. Yeah, but, I mean, you still want to have the edge after the war's over. Yeah, but, I I mean, honestly, as an American... 
that's not in the know as you know for, as far as like behind the scenes politics bullshit. You kind of get the feeling that you know like uh, the UK is kind of like our, our little brother at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, you pretty much share with them what you got. To an extent, I mean... I guess that's true. I mean, they would want to get the knowledge firsthand and then, you know, give what we want to give to the UK that, you know... Because we always want to have the upper hand. We always want to have the more technologically advanced equipment, you know. Well, that's true. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff linked to this Project Paperclip I'm looking at now. Oh, yeah, I mean, just about every, you know, thing that happened in that time period was yeah. linked to Project Paperclip and... Stuff that's still going on today is still linked to Project Paperclip. I mean, that's a huge deal. I, I I'd heard of it, but I never really knew what it was. Mm-hmm. Ooh, Nazi human experimentation. That's another good episode of uh, yes. I've never really looked into that too deep, just because. Well, I mean, the ex- I know they did like medical and scientific experiments, yeah. but like the extent of my knowledge is like. And this isn't even really experimentation. I know they did experimentation on twins, mm. which hey, that's an episode we could do. Twins. Like the supposed psychic link between yeah. uh, mirror twins and stuff. I'm sure we could find a twin to call in. Well, it's always interesting, like to read about twins that grew up separately, and like you still you see parallels within their lives. You know that you know it's just like yeah. from the women they marry to the, like the names they give they their like, kids, the food yeah. they like. I mean, there have been some like the kids have similar names. Oh, actually, the first entry on the Nazi human experimentation is experiments on twins. Uh, experiments on twin children in concentration camps were created to show the similarities and differences in genetic twins as well as to see if the human body can be unnaturally manipulated. The central leader of the experiments was Joseph Mengele, um, performed experiments on nearly 1,500 sets of imprisoned twins at Auschwitz. Only 100 uh, survived the experiments. 100 out of 1,500, man. Damn. Well, I'm sure some of the stuff they were doing on them was to see if one would feel the other's pain. And Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, that's what it's saying here. Dude, yeah. they did head injury experiments, freezing experiments. Um, they were trying to discover means to prevent and treat hypothermia. Oh, my God. Yeah? Yeah, water temperature of uh, 5 degrees. They died. <laughs> yeah, Malaria there's, there's must... a reason Nazis aren't, you know, people's uh, people's favorite people. <laughs> Poison bombs. Wow, I mean, these guys just... Which, what amazes me is, you know, I can buy into a lot of conspiracy theories and stuff <laughs> like that, but the conspiracy theory that the Holocaust never happened, that it was propaganda? Yeah, it's like, that's how the hell really does any far-fetched. How does anybody honestly believe that? I mean, that just blows my mind that somebody could actually believe that never happened. Well, that and the flat earthers. The people that literally believe the earth is flat. Now, you want to know another group of retarded individuals? You ever heard of breatharians? Which one's that? Those are the people that believe that you don't have to eat. You can gather all the nutrients uh, yeah, you need yeah, through yeah. breathing. <laughs> it's like, that one's proved real quick. Let's lock them in a room for a month and see what happens. <laughs> Them fuckers are eating something somewhere. Yeah, supposedly they've they've you know done the studies, but I've never seen the follow up stuff to see what happened. I mean, it's yeah. There, there's... Well, why do we? If that's the case, why do we have people you know documented accounts of people starving to death? Yeah. Well, supposedly you know it requires med- uh, meditation, and I don't know. It's it's weird. Sounds like a bunch of bullshit to me. Yeah, I mean. Well, there's also there's another group of people they believe like um. Like kind of like the Earth is, um, like we're inside the Earth, like yeah, 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 facing yeah, yeah, inward, yeah. like the sun's like in the middle. 
I don't know, it's weird to explain. Well, there's another group of people that believe that uh, the uh, center of the Earth is actually hollow, and there is an advanced civilization that lives mm. within the Earth, and that's yeah. what your UFOs are, is the people from within the Earth. That one's true. <laughs> that one's true. <laughs> Out of all of them, that one's true. All right, I got you, I got you. I, I'm down. Right. All right, I, I got you. Well, I wouldn't say the center of the Earth is hollow, but the aliens do live underground. Underground. Yes. Okay, I got you, I got you. <laughs> oh, man. All right, so I guess if the man doesn't believe that, then he's crazy. Um, Chaff is one enough you can call in using Skype. Yes. Um, i got to remember our Skype name. Yes, we may have a listener call in in just a second um, if the man can remember our, our Skype call in. <laughs> Talk for a second, Dusty. Yes. <laughs> you know, for some reason, I never do good whenever, um, or do well. Do well. Yeah. I never do well whenever I, you just tell me to talk. It's, it's weird. Like, especially when you start staring at me like that. It's it's like on the new Dobbs or something, where you just want me to... Which is a yeah. character from Slacker and a Man in yes. the past. <laughs> hey, past, and maybe a little bit here and there in the future. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I mean, he's not a full-time member anymore, but no. he'll still be there. Um, actually, uh, an interesting thing is, if you would like to meet, if you live in the Central Florida area, and would like to meet Dusty or myself, uh, we'll actually be at a convention, a science fiction convention, uh, October 28th through the 30th. It's called uh, Vulcan Events. It's in Orlando, Away Florida. Away Mission. Away Mission Orlando, presented by Vulcan Events. It's in Orlando, Florida, uh, right across. It's at the uh, Hyatt, right across from um, right across from Downtown Disney in Orlando. Uh, to get more information on it, go to VulcanEvents.com. Actually, that Friday night, they'll be roasting my, myself. Uh, Dusty and Slacker from Slacker and the Man. Um, Dr. Vernon Dobbs from a, a geek rock group called Cyfried. And then uh, Bert the Stormtrooper, who's part of several of the costuming groups, um, will actually be roasting me that night, the Friday night, at 9 o'clock. So. Well, while we're waiting on a listener, I do want to say our next episode is going to be an episode on zombies. Which uh, Slacker from Slacker and the Man actually should be in. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> he he give a tentative, uh, yeah, I could do that, yeah. but, you know. I mean, we do do this kind of late now, so I know I said it, yes. <laughs> so, I mean, hopefully he'll join us, because, I mean, he does know well, the zombies. Well, we could set it up ahead of time. We could do it. We all have Saturdays off. Yeah. So we could do it on a Saturday. And actually, if we wanted to, we could change Slacker and a Man to Saturday for that week. If we could all, it would be easier for all of us to get together like Saturday afternoon and do Covert Cast and then Slacker and a Man. Um, I don't know. I think I got something that far- Saturday night. Okay. Um, yeah. I got, Why not? I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's the 15th, so yeah, I don't, I think I'm doing something Ghostbuster related that night. Mm-hmm. Which I do occasionally go as a dress up as a ghost. No, that's the. Um, I'm probably going to go on the 21st or 22nd, which is the weekend after that. Was Friday Saturday okay, after that? The one before Vulcan events. Because I can't, I couldn't get that Friday off, and that Saturday of the 15th, I'm doing a the a charity thing over and um. Oh, with the, the uh, with the Suncoast Ghostbusters. Sun Ghostbusters. Yes. All right. Well, I think we're going to try to wrap up uh, episode seven. Uh, no. well, hang on, Jeff. Chaff on the no, no, no. He said he was. He all. said he, he was having trouble, so we're not going to have him call in. Mjolnir says he'll call in next time. Okay. Um. So for episode seven of the Covert Cast, don't forget go to iTunes, rate and review us. Um. Please review us well. 
Well, we had a negative review, review, um, and it was one of these hardcore guys for JFK. We didn't have our facts straight, and blah, 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 blah. You know, fuck you, dude. You know, I mean, we're just giving a... Honestly, our goal here is to give a... Every man's opinion on these events. Yeah, uh, we're not claiming to be hardcore researchers or hardcore skeptics or I mean, any of that stuff. The whole idea for this um, covert cast for me starting this out, you know, was I wanted it just to be something we just go back and forth and you know our basic thoughts on the subject, not like actually giving hardcore facts. And well, I mean, I we, mean, we do give hardcore facts. We research beforehand. Yeah, and- I mean, we try to give it, but I mean, it's it's not every, not everything we research is going to really go what people already believe. I mean. Yeah, I Especially mean, with something like JFK, where there's so much stuff to it, where it's it's you could have your own you know personal theory about any aspect of the JFK thing. Anything else, you're just gonna not care for. Right, exactly. So don't forget to visit us at thecovertcast.com. Um, email us at thecovertcast at gmail dot com. All one word. <laughs> all one word. Um, but don't type in all one word. You can find us on Facebook. Just type in the Covert Cast. We're the only ones on there. Um, iTunes, we're on there. You know, all that good stuff. Visit the website. Uh, we need to do another... Uh, October's busy as hell for us. Yeah. But maybe November we'll uh, do another investigation trip for some ghost hunting or something. You know, we need to do... We should try to do one of those a month. Well, I think November will be good because it should be starting to be cool enough, cool enough then to be able to get out there and, you know, not yeah. have to worry about mosquitoes. Oh, my and, God. That, that, that ghost hunting trip yeah. we did at that uh, cemetery... <laughs> It was so hot, and mosquitoes were everywhere. Yeah. It, it was honestly brutal to be out there. But yeah, you have to remember we're in Florida, where it stays hot and humid most of the year. So. And you got and I, I'm used to being. I'm outside a lot. I'm outside yeah. at night a lot. But that cemetery was bad. Yeah. It was right next to a swamp, so there's mosquitoes everywhere. Um, but anyway, for episode seven of the Covert Cast of the Covertcast dot com, I'm one of your hosts, the man. I'm Dusty, and I'm happy we knocked that out. <laughs> oh, uh, uh, ending music. Am I doing it or are you doing it this week? I thought we were gonna we we're gonna play the outro music we used before. You're gonna do your own personal. Let's do our own. You go ahead because you had something you wanted to do. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I got one I haven't used yet. I don't yeah. know why it took me so long. So for the covertcast.com, this is the end of the episode. Hey, all Reverend Godfather here, jumping in for the moment. Uh, first off, first things first. I hope you enjoyed the episode of the covert cast talking about the philadelphia experiment uh, i don't know since it's been a long time since i heard this episode i don't know if they talked about uh al bielik uh but if they didn't uh al bielik uh, was somebody that uh came out to say uh or would say whistleblow or talk about the philadelphia experiment uh i do have the do and found the recordings that uncle tony gave me many year many years prior to uh, the covert cast talking about it, so I'm going to include that. And for note out there, this is for educational purposes uh, only. Um, please uh, do not be driving, taking showers, or anything like that uh, when you listen to this uh, interview because it might want you to leave the room or leave your vehicle while it's going at high speeds. Uh, we want you to be safe in regards to it. Yes, I know this... Uh, this interview that came in two parts and that I sewed together. Uh, it's going to increase this episode to be over two hours long. But uh, either way, I, I want you guys to have the full coverage in regard to this. And there will be an update uh, at the end of this for further context. So either way, here is that Al Bielik 
interview. So, uh, no, George, you don't have to hit the button for this one. But cue the interview. Our question for Al Bielik is to describe what you remember about those six weeks that you spent in 2137 and perhaps implications of that experience for our immediate future. Well, it's really what you just asked the question. It was really two parts, but I will give it to you in terms of the way you asked it, the first part. What is the implication of the six weeks there? Uh, detail, there's not a great deal of detail I can recall on that other than the fact that I was in a hospital bed for four weeks and in the hospital itself for another two weeks with Duncan in a bed adjacent to me. And this, of course, is after we jumped off the Eldridge. And uh, the first four weeks basically was physically recovering from the damage which had occurred which were, at that time little was known about this problem, but it is known now. If you go out into a space or even a hyperspace, there are all kinds of radiations out there which can be highly damaging to the body. And that's exactly what happened to us. We had no protective suits on, no protective clothing, and when we arrived in 2137, as they told us, we were in pretty bad physical shape, that we had been severely burned in our trip through hyperspace, space, or whatever the term was they used. And uh, that, I was recovering, put us back together, as it were. There wasn't physical damage in the sense of an injury. There was damage in the sense of radiation and what the radiation did to the physiology of the body. But while there, of course, watching TV, as it was TV, and they had in this hospital room TV sets, and uh, one for me, and I guess one for Duncan. Were they a little different than the kinds of TV sets we know now in the year 2000? Very little different. They were... Color TVs, there were screens mounted on a uh, swivel unit up on the ceiling so you could control the angle at which it was down and the direction in which it was swiveled towards you so it would be aimed straight at you. Uh, the sound could come out of the ceiling speaker or it could <clears throat> come from ear sets, uh, whichever you preferred. And uh, there was program selection. You had an automatic control for that, just like we have remotes for today. Do you recall what TV programs you watched? <laughs> Mostly, I think what one would call current history for that time, uh, news talk, <clears throat> historical stuff, geographical stuff, and uh, soap operas as we know them today. I don't recall there was a single one on the air. It was much more in the way of an educational channel than anything else. It wasn't entertainment as I saw it. I do not recall that there was an entertainment channel per se because at first I didn't know where we were. I didn't know what had happened. And eventually I started seeing some very strange things on TV. I started asking questions. And uh, the first thing I noted was references geographically to the United States and I noticed severe changes in the coastlines and the interior and uh, the fact that Europe was didn't look at all like when I had remembered it. And I started asking questions. What's happened? What's going, been going on? That's when they uh, said, I want to see maps of what's happened and some description. I said, it looks like there's been major earth changes. And I said, yes, there have been. It all happened in the period between uh, the beginning of the 21st century and basically the year 2025. Now, well, what happened? So they told me, they showed me maps, and did describe it briefly. 
the East Coast of the United States was rather heavily changed, not as much as the West Coast, but neither one for that matter. None of the changes I saw would uh, fit some of the uh, very far-out maps promulgated in the late 20th century by various people such as the I Am America group and uh, Michael Gordon Scallion and his series of maps. They were what I would consider the worst-case possible scenario, and it didn't happen that way. But what I did see was changes in the East Coast, uh, particularly when you went south towards where Georgia, Carolinas and Georgia is, the Georgia coastline had gone inland so that Atlanta, instead of being about 100 miles from the ocean, was only three miles from the ocean. A lot of the East Coast of Georgia was gone. Parts of uh, North Carolina had been chopped off. Florida was gone completely except for the uh, area of the panhandle. Was this on the TV programs that you saw, saw or did they give you a map? I saw this in references on the TV program, okay. uh, which they showed pictures of the coastline in reference to something else that we're dealing with. And I see this. I said, what is this? This isn't the way I remember it. Mm-hmm. So that's when I started asking what's going on, and I, they gave me the maps. Uh, the Gulf Coast was drastically changed. There was about a 50-mile-wide swath north of where we knew the Gulf Coast to be, as it is today, in the beginning of the 21st century. And uh, about 50 miles wide was just gone. It was underwater, which means New Orleans was gone, Houston was gone, uh, Corpus Christi, Texas was gone as such, though it was best barely, because that's a little higher ground there. It was this lowlands that went. And I don't think it was geographic upheaval. It was just a case of the ocean waters have been rising, uh, plus other changes. And the big change in the middle of the country was that the Mississippi became an inland waterway, and a rather wide one, all the way up to the Great Lakes, which then became one lake. Uh, Part of the original lakes disappeared, and other parts uh, sank so that you had one large lake there, which joined with the St. Lawrence Seaway, which became a very large seaway. And the the rest of the U.S., the western part, to the other side of the new Mississippi Basin, if you will, was all there essentially intact, with the exception of California and parts of Oregon and small parts of Washington. California suffered from where the San Andreas Fault came in land. San Andreas Fault cuts into California between San Francisco and San Jose. That's where it cuts inland and is no longer in the ocean, but is cutting across land. It goes down basically central California so that when you get past Los Angeles, it winds up cutting through the middle of the Salton Sea. And much of that section west of that fault line, of the San Andreas fault line, wound up in the ocean, not all of it. San Diego was gone. Parts of Southern California was gone. But the strange part was where Los Angeles was. Parts of it were still left. The coastal sections, the beach country was gone. The beach areas were collapsed. The cliffs were collapsed. But areas of uh, the higher sections of Beverly Hills were still there. Altadena, Pasadena was still there. Downtown uh, Los Angeles is still referred to as the island because it was on a rock, and there's literally an island there, even now, although it's certainly not underwater, but it winds up being surrounded by water. So there were a lot of changes that way, and, of course, came with that, not just the geographical changes, but total collapse of the infrastructure of the United States. And at that time, 2137, there was no longer any reference to the United States as a nation 
or to Canada as a nation, they still use the geographical outlines of the old states and the countries for reference. But at that time, the banks were heavily curtailed. Banking systems had changed drastically. Computers were uh, very much in, if you will. And the government was very much smaller and streamlined, though what was still functioning was largely in the military control. There was still, even in 2137, at least in the U.S., largely a, shall we say, a residual of martial law. The military was still running things. The civilian government was gone, just plain gone. Was it, uh, as we know, this one world order? No. The one world order at that point was non-existent. Now, in between the period of, let's say, now, 2000 A.D. and 2137, I had very little data as to what happened to the New World Order. All they told me was that the New World Order collapsed. They didn't say when or how or whether there was a world war in between or not. There was a war. Uh, but whether it was due to the New World Order instigating it in order to try and preserve their status or not was not made that clear to me. So was it uh, still the United States military that was controlling everything for the United States area, or was it just the regional military? At that point, there's a little bit of both. It was a residual of the United States military, but it was more a regional military than strictly U.S. government military. Did you meet any of the military people? Not that I can recall this time. I don't believe I did. First of all, I never got out of the hospital until I made my famous trip to the next stop. But while I was in 2137, I never got outside the hospital. My view of 2137 was through the TV screen and other information was brought to me at my request. So you never actually left the hospital, did you? No. You're in it, and were you right beside your brother Duncan at the same time? Basically. Because we got up and wandered around the hospital building after we got well. Uh, but we didn't leave the building. We were sort of, I guess one would say, in protective custody. So ha- have you ever asked the question, were you really in 2137? Oh, I asked them the year. Yes, they said it was 2137 A.D. And uh, how can this be? Well, you came or brought to us, and we're not quite sure how you got here, but you were brought to us as found somewheres, and you were in terrible physical shape. You know, we treated you as a regular, ordinary patient with unknown origins. But at that time, apparently, they didn't worry about, did you have Medicare, Medicaid, or the money to pay for it? This they was uh, already, already, shall we say, socialism of a sort. Mm-hmm. I did not inquire to that extent as to the uh, financial status, except that I did ask about banks and banking systems and financial status, and they said it was drastically changed. Yeah, there was still money, but it was not quite the same as it had been. And uh, banks were drastically curtailed from the amount of power that they once had. It, did you notice anything different in the hospital, though, that would um, show that there was 137 years had gone by from today's date? Or did it look pretty much the same as today's hospitals? It looked very nearly the same as today's hospitals. The only thing I could say was that the medical treatment was much more advanced. Uh, They used relatively little drugs or shots. There were other types of techniques that were used. What they did give us in the way of medication was not anything we recognized. Of course, I'm not being—I was not a doctor then or now, and uh, I wouldn't recognize by name many of the drugs and medications they gave us. But I know that some of that stuff bore no resemblance to anything that we use today. And they did make mention of that. And he says, oh, uh, the 20th century medicine, we don't practice that here anymore. (laughs) 
He says, we've gotten a little bit away from that, going ahead. They did use other types of therapy, which would come under the terminology today of uh, perhaps holistic medicine. Uh, perhaps one could say various vibrational treatments, light treatments. Uh, of course, if there was surgery required, they had those techniques available, much more refined than today. I did ask some questions in that direction. Uh, there was a city outside, but that was one of the things I learned in watching TV. Many of the cities that we know today didn't exist anymore. And some of them were in, uh, in the status of, you might say, a museum being rebuilt as a museum rather than as a habitation. Did you get any feel for how many people were actually on the planet at yes, that time? Yes, I asked that question. They said at that time about 300 million on the entire planet. That's all? That's all. And in the United States, less than 100 million. It's about 50. And what happened to the 6 billion that are here today? That is something that I never got a fully straight answer to, but they told me this, that between the World War III, disease, famine, breakdown of government, lack of transportation, <clears throat> the total collapse of finance, uh, wars with the aliens, the fact that certain alien groups uh, arrived and uh, were rather carnivorous, they liked human flesh, uh, there was a great deal of problem in the big cities. Most of the inhabitants wound up being, uh, shall we say, grist for the tables of the uh, aliens while they lasted. They did not last that long. They were eventually run out, destroyed, or what have you. But by not who? Who destroyed? By the uh, military of the United States and the militias also. The militias got involved heavily in the act. The U.N. attempted to fight some of this for a while, but they, apparently they were overwhelmed also. And eventually the U.N. was uh, troops and such. Or the, let's say the U.N. Uh, agenda, as we understand it right now of this year, uh, fell by the wayside. There was no longer any attempt to make a one-world government. There wasn't enough left to make a one-world government of. Well, you know, it's kind of interesting because we always think of the, the aliens as having technology that is so far advanced of ours that if they want to, they could basically do whatever they want to do. But it seems like as up to this point, 2000, they're in a fairly passive or behind-the-scenes role. But you're saying that the, we, the U.S. military actually developed technology to beat them. We have all of the technology that most of the aliens ever had because there was a lot of cooperative effort between 1954 and the year 2000. And we back-engineered not only their craft and their drives <coughs> and their weapons, <coughs> excuse me, but we also, perhaps one could say, forward-engineered from the knowledge we acquired of the alien approaches to weapons and weapon systems, we forward-engineered a few of our own. And... Uh, as an example, as of the now, that is the year 2000, we have particle beam weapon systems, which I might note were first noted and developed by Nikola Tesla back in the 30s, about 1935. And without going through the long history of how we came back into it, what he started out with is a basically medium-powered device today, that is in the last 10 years, has become an exceedingly high-powered weapon where they can aim, aim it from the Earth out into space, and with one of the systems I am told they have today, they can quite literally punch a hole through a moon on Jupiter and have done so as a demonstration or a test 
for the benefit of outsiders who might have the idea that they can come to Earth and conquer us and get away with it rather readily. The day was and they could. Not anymore today. So what year did you get the sense that all the problems started? Approximately between 2003 and 2005. The, at that time, well, the brief history that I acquired at that time, meaning in 2137, indicated that the New World Order was consolidating quite heavily their gains and their control over the planet. But something went wrong somewhere. Somebody uh, blinked when they shouldn't have or whatever it was, but suddenly erupted a war, uh, which was basically between, as I understand it now and remember what they told me, between the Russians and Chinese on one side and the U.S. on the other, and also the you know, Europe essentially on our side. It was an unprovoked attack without very, with very little warning or no warning. It hit several American cities, and we retaliated. Was it a nuclear attack? Yes, it was a nuclear attack on the ICBMs, full bore. And whether it was a case of they were allowed to hit us first, as Clinton has said in the current era while he is still president, that if there is such an attack ever occurs, we will fully absorb it. Instead of trying to fight it out in space and prevent him from getting here, his intent is to let it hit here. That's part of the plan. Uh, in any case, they did. They wiped out a number of cities, and we retaliated because we have thousands of the missiles. They're all over. I, have, I do not know where they all are, but I know that many of these silos which have been deactivated is the tip of the iceberg. We have so many thousands of missiles buried all over the United States and Canada and other locations that could knock out all of the known sites, which, of course, I'm sure the Russians and Chinese know. The sites we still have in reserve would be more than enough to wipe them out. Did you uh, ever hear who was a president at the time that this attack happened? That's a good question. <laughs> I don't think I ever asked. Um, if I remember right, that was one of the complications that occurred at the time. The current race between uh, Gore... Bush and, of course, the Independent Party, Reform Party candidate, Buchanan. Yeah, I remember correctly, it wound up in the House. The House had to resolve it. Had to resolve the election? Yes, because there was not 266 electoral votes for anyone. They were split three ways. And eventually, I believe they did, I think they did pull Bush as the closest to winning, and they gave him the honor, if you will, of becoming the president. That's my vague recollection now, but it was from that point on things started to come unglued because uh, I know from current politics, Buchanan would not tolerate any of the things that were happening now in terms of the U.N. and certain other aspects. Bush was thrust into it, and he became very upset when he found out what was really going on behind the scenes. He was not fully primed by either his father or anyone else. He was left in ignorance until he actually became president. Until you become the president, you're not privy to an awful lot of information, which only the president has, and he doesn't get it all either. But in any case, uh, things became very unstable from that point on. From the point of the actual election? From the point of the final election results right. and the fact that... Uh, the presidency was a little bit rocky from that point on. The government became unstable, and then about 2003 came the war, 
And then in that same time period, about 2003 on, whether or not the missile attacks triggered part of this or not, I'm not sure, but the earth changes, which have been threatening to hit, started to hit with a vengeance. For the period of about 2003 till they said about 2012, there was a series of hervy earthquakes and other earth changes which drastically changed our coastlines. What, uh, what, what do you think actually caused these earth changes? It is very hard to answer because I don't think even a geologist could answer that properly. Uh, they were imminent in the sense that certain of the geographical formations, such as Area 51 in Nevada, is known now to be unstable. Uh, certain areas in Italy are known to be unstable. We've gotten that feedback from somebody who had been over there, shall we say, dealing with the Vatican for a possible removal of all of their records to a much safer place. They said that the infrastructure underground is starting to crack. And they said, we know it's going to go, and we don't want to lose the records. Under the Vatican? Under the Vatican. Uh, as a matter of the record, because I talked with the person who made the tour at the invitation of the Vatican and the Pope to see what they are talking about in the terms of preservation of records. He saw what they had, 18 miles of underground records and storage, miles. Everything from Atlantis on back, as well as everything from the point of Atlantis forward. They so have it. Yeah, I believe 60 Minutes actually did a uh, special where, where they got inside on some of that. Yeah. We're able to be shown some of that, but yes, it just goes on and on and on. And on and on. And on. And it's, it's a well-known fact. It's a fairly well-known fact. It's not too well-known. Only one one friend of mine actually saw the whole nine yards of it and was given the, specifically the tour to evaluate, can you handle this? Mm-hmm. And he was told that they wanted to move this stuff out of there. They had hoped that he would do it, and he said he was interested in doing it on an interactive basis, that whatever files and records were put into storage would be made available on computers. They did not disagree with that. But the problem was the, the logistics and the money. As of now, I don't think my friend still has the money lined up to do it. He wanted to do it in western Colorado, in an area they know is very stable. But they're talking about hundreds of millions of bucks. Well, when did the Vatican ever have any problem with money? That's a very good question. I've never known them to have a problem with money. Now, why they were putting him on the spot, I don't know. So, to your recollection... You know there were some major earth changes that did occur, but the exact reason still a little bit unfoggy. Exactly. It, like, think for example, it, Mount St. Helens blew up, of course, in our era. Right. Nobody knows why it did. It did. There was something unstable. No, who knows what the structure below the earth is, when it is going to trigger. They know at certain areas that it will, but nobody can predict when. Well, the type of uh, earth changes you're talking about, a uh, magnetic pole shift could cause something like that. Yes. Well, did you hear about that at all? Yes, now that you mention it. Uh, the magnetic poles did start to shift, but the data I was given was that they were able to finally stabilize not only the magnetic but the, ge- uh, the geographic pole structure so that with uh, the technology was available to us even before the end of the 20th century, they could put artificial poles up at the area where the magnetic poles are now, both north and south, create an artificial pole structure to prevent the complete collapse and the reversal. And they did this and prevented their collapse and reversal and other problems it would have created and also, as a byproduct, stabilized the geographic poles. But it doesn't sound like they were successful. No, they were successful. The poles never flipped. It stabilized that aspect of it, but other things occurred in terms of the other geographic uh, anomalies. 
the major problems which developed were unknown as to why. What about all those cities that were, say, bombed out by nuclear bombs? Uh, you know, from what I understand is that city is, no one can live in it for hundreds of years. Well, according to current knowledge, thousands of years because mm-hmm. it takes that long for the radiation to die down. There is, though, even today, technology that can uh, reduce that radiation risk down to minimal levels in a matter of days or weeks. The technology exists, but the government won't use it, even on our waste. We have enormous amounts of nuclear waste, which constitute a very major problem, and the government will not use it. They're using it in Europe. Why? Why won't they use it? Politics, and I cannot give you an answer as to why they won't. Nobody can give an answer on that. The best scientists who know this... Uh, techniques, some six different systems are available, they won't use it. So so you're guessing that the technology existed to sort of counteract the effects of the nuclear radiation yeah. in the cities. So They can damp that out, and mm-hmm. uh, unless the city was totally devastated physically to the point where it isn't worth rebuilding, in which case it would just be a slag heap and they abandon it, post a sign here and say, here was such and such city. Uh, other than that, they can rebuild it. I know Atlanta was hit by not nuclear missiles because they wanted it to be the headquarters of the New World Order, eastern half of the United States, but it was eventually hit by uh, ordinary shells, if you will, and by an ordinary bombardment, which uh, was not successful in producing severe destruction to the city. It drove all the, what was left of the residents out. The military came and sealed it off, and then there was an ongoing battle with between, as I remember, the U.N. and Patriots, which the U.N. lost. And eventually, <coughs> excuse me, eventually Atlanta was restored. And they told me about that, and there was the, they were still working on the final touches of it in 2137. So who are the they? Uh, we, we, we've met your doctors. Who are the they that you're talking about? Whatever was existing in the way of a government in 2137, there was a government of sorts. Now, I mean, did they actually come into your hospital room and talk to you, or, or are you getting this from the television that you watch? I'm getting partly from television, partly from the, the medical people and others who came in and talked with us. Okay, but no government official or anybody. You, you apparently I cannot recall a government per, official per se okay, coming so, to talk with us. So you apparently, after you jumped off the Eldridge, somehow, and I guess you don't remember it, you were you were per, perhaps we, unconscious at we the were. time. We were. Someone found you, or some group of people found you, took you to the hospital, but apparently the people in the hospital and everybody else didn't really know that you came from, what was it, 1943? It would have been from 1943. Right. Uh, I do not know at this point whether they knew it or not. If they did, they kept their mouth shut, that's for sure. But no one interrogated you? Asked you any questions? No, they didn't interrogate us as such. Apparently they already knew more about the history from the year 2000, actually from the year 1943 on, than we did. Therefore, it would have been a wasted effort. But we were there for quite a period of time. and uh, Well, how did you eventually go from this year 2000 up, up, you know, back? How did you go back? Well, we didn't go back from 2137. The next interesting step that occurred, and I still can't explain that, how it happened, as I already outlined previously, I wound up in the year 2749, was pulled up there by what means and by whom, I do not know, 2749 to 2751, almost the full two years. 
I have no idea how I got there. Duncan was not with me on that trip. He remained behind. And uh, as I outlined previously, I spent almost two years there learning about their society and civilization, the wingmakers who were in back of the synthetic intelligence uh, computer systems that ran every city on the planet. Plus, everything had been totally rebuilt. And by that time, there was no government other than the synthetic intelligence computer system and those who were in back of it who designed it and were still running it. I mean, that's 600 years Yes. past that point. So a lot can happen in 600 years. A lot can happen in 600 years and did. I'm sure. Well, so from that point, I was sent back to 2137 to get Duncan, well, and then go back, to, and then go to 1983. Okay, so you went from 2137 to 2749, stay there till 51. Right. And then did you go from 51 back to 37? Yes. To, to get 19, Duncan. To, 19, to 2137 to get Duncan. And then once you got Duncan, then what happened? Then we were transferred. By, again, means unknown, and how this happened, I can't even begin to explain because I don't know, uh, to the incident I usually describe in my lectures where he arrived at night in a military base uh, next to a chain-link fence with a helicopter overhead shining a spotlight down on us when we were taken into the underground of Montauk to meet Dr. John von Neumann. And at that point, we didn't even have a memory of the where we had been, uh, E2137 or maybe up to the 20th century. Oh, like that, that was that was wiped. All we remembered was coming off of the Eldridge. And that, of course, later on created a great deal of confusion, on my part, I should say. And Duncan never did remember any of the other trips. He is, to this day, I believe, not remembered any part of the 2137 or the, of course, he would not remember the 20th century. He was not there. How those memories finally seep back, of course, is a long story of my, my own. But at that point when we arrived there at uh, the night of August 12th, or I should say the morning, about 2 a.m. of August 12th, 1983, everything was wiped from the other parts of the trip. And, and just in closing, do you have any idea what technique was used to wipe your memory at that time? Nothing. Highly, obviously, highly advanced technology, which... Today we would have no knowledge. So you, do you think it was the people from 2749? I suspect it was them for the simple reason that they sent me back and they said, you have to go back into the past to straighten out a mess. And how did they send you back? Was it the same type of portal that you've been accustomed to? It was not, uh, it was not anything like the jumping off the elders and going through that routine or the the type of portal that existed there, which was a function partly of the lock-up of the fields from Montauk and the Eldridge, it was some other type of more advanced system. Uh, I do know that the guys in the future, that is the wingmakers, have an extremely advanced system for time travel, interactive time travel they call it, which scientists in our era, that is the 20th century, having discovered the wingmaker site, claim we don't have. I don't agree with them. We have it, but it's much, perhaps very much cruder than the refinements they have in another eight centuries. So physically, I mean, I guess you don't have much memory of the apparatus that I have was no used. memory of the apparatus at all. Okay. All right, well, we'll end that there. Thank you, Al. Ed Cameron's, now Al Belix, journey through time started when he jumped off the USS Eldridge in 1943 during the Philadelphia Experiment.
Both he and his brother Duncan Cameron landed in the year 2137 and remember waking up in a hospital bed. During that stay, Ed alone traveled to the year 2749 and spent two years there. In this program, Al recounts his memories of that trip. Al, can you describe what the civilization was like in the year 2749? What I saw of this civilization was a highly advanced civilization and technologically. We had floating cities, we had ground-based cities. The floating ones are anti-gravity type flotation. 2,100, 2,200 stories, like the cities are two and a half miles high. And in retrospect, I have looked at that and says, now how the blazes, with any materials that we know in the 20th century, how could they build anything that would sustain that kind of weight from the stories above it? And, of course, it was explained to me at that time in the 28th century that it was very easy to explain because they had conquered at full control over anti-gravity and multiple systems of anti-gravity in which they built platforms of every 300 floors, approximately. And uh, they would relieve the strain of the pressure from above with an anti-gravity reverse system so that the pressure from above disappeared so that each section only had to support its own weight, and they kept adding sections as they built this city up to 2,100, 2,200 stories. And in addition, if they wanted the city to be a floating city, it was a floating city. And they would move it around from one part of the earth to get tired of it to another part of the earth. They were interested in that. And I told them about the system of governing, if you will, which was a totally synthetic uh, system actually in synthetic intelligence computers. They were moderately interested in that. And I said they had one in each city. Uh, whether the city was fixed, which there were fixed cities doing manufacturing and so forth, or it was a floating city. Why they had floating cities moving around, I don't know, but that was a civilization as it was then, or is to be, if you will. And I started to ask questions. I had friends there, and I stayed long enough to learn all about the functions of the city and the fact that this synthetic intelligence was a highly radioactive crystalline form structure so far as I could tell because I was called in for an interview and to be interviewed you had to put on a lead-lined suit with completely radiation proof because in the room where this computer was where you were interviewed which computer if I can call it that was a huge crystalline structure floating in the middle of the room uh, no physical connections to anything we could see. And it would interview you telepathically. And I was called in for more than one interview. And I gathered the, the structure of the society at that time was purely socialism, 100% pure socialism. Everything was free. Uh, there were no banks. There was no money. You were born into the society by your parents. Your parents could be living in a common law arrangement. They could be married. <coughs> You could be raised by your parents or you could be raised by the state. Well, what did the computer want to know from you? Uh, eventually wanted to know what I was doing there and what I knew about how I got there. At that point, I didn't remember anything about how I got there. It was sort of like I arrived and became part of this city, part of the society, like I had been born in it, but which was not the case. There were some false memories involved and a huge block as to where I had been, well, how I got there, what was I doing there. I sort of absorbed the place, 
and became part of me, and I became part of it, so to speak. And uh, <clears throat> one tour guide I became very friendly with, as I found out much later. Isn't that what we you were? were? You were a tour guide, weren't you? I became a tour guide of sorts because I adopted this profession. Everybody was expected to get an education, a minimal education, and then, of course, contribute something to society, do something useful. Mm-hmm. But there's manufacturing, being a tour guide, uh, a scientist, an engineer, whatever, manufacturing. What did you give tours of? The city, basically. To because tourists? Because people or? came to these cities from elsewhere on the planet. Mm-hmm. And uh, they would like to see all of the workings, particularly the floating cities. Where did they go? What did they do? And the, the cities based on the ground had these transportation tubes they're called accelerons. It was sort of like a moving sidewalk. You had one type, which was a moving sidewalk. You jump on a thing and move through the city. You can jump off where you wanted. The other was a tube type apparatus where you jump in a thing and it would propel you, similar to the Montauk operation. But it was a localized, much slower thing mm-hmm. in which you were propelled through the tube to a sort of like a continuous belt. You'd get on it and you get off where you wanted to get off mm-hmm. at some other part of the city. The kids used to love this thing. It was, it was entertainment for them. And uh, I became part of a guide for that. We'd take people from outside that didn't see these things very often or from another part of the world. And we'd show them around, show them this particular operation in the city and what was in that city. So that was what the tour guides were for. They literally showed outsiders what was going on in their particular city. Obviously, not all the cities were the same. But it was interesting that there was no external structure of government other than the local government of each city. There was a city-state, if you will, i.e. each city was a rule and a law unto itself, though they all followed a common format in terms of the fact that each city was ruled by the synthetic intelligence. And as I found out, each synthetic intelligence unit was connected to the rest. So there was a worldwide network, a worldwide web, if you will. Hmm. Well, I asked a lot of questions. Well, what about war? What's that? Unknown. Well, the <coughs> unit which I talked with, the particular intelligence system, we had a nickname for them. We called it the Lama, much like the Lama in a monastery. The Dalai Lama. Yes, much mm-hmm. like the Dalai Lama, if you will. I asked them, well, wasn't the war in the past? They said, oh, yes, we had wars in the past. I said, that's long gone. I said, are there any armies, standing armies, or military operations, military organizations? None. No, no soldiers? No. No military? No. No navy? No. No air force? No. Uh, no satellite system? He wouldn't answer that one. Uh, well, do you have means in case of something like an invasion from outside? Suppose somebody from outside wanted to come in and take over the planet. Do you have means of defending yourself? He said, yes, we do. I said, what are they? He said, you do not have the need to know. But he says, we have means to defend the cities. Apparently they had, shall we say, built-in armaments, perhaps high-powered laser systems, perhaps more advanced systems. I don't know. I never found out. But they had the means to defend each individual city as such. And apparently it was never needed. What were the cities like? I mean, were they colorful? Were they large? Uh, were they comfortable? Some were large. Some were smaller. Uh, they were definitely very comfortable. The apartments one we were assigned to or lived in were very comfortable. They had all the modern conveniences that we know today, plus some. Uh, food what, was. Broke. What would be different? What would be different would As a be, convenience that, say, we don't have right now. 
Yeah, that uh, says I have to go back a bit to remember (laughs) that, going back to the future, if you will. I hear you. They had synthetic food units, I remember, in the apartments. You could have fresh produce brought in, or you could synthesize either way you preferred. They did have restaurants, and there were, of course, stores to go shopping in. You could buy stuff if you wanted to buy, of course, as a misnomer. They did set up a limitation. In other words, if everything was free, a person could go out and literally grab anything they wanted. There had to be a limit against this sort of thing, of literally purging a store of everything they had because you wanted it and wanted one of this, 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 and this. There had to be a limitation. There was a form of credit, which was a rather obscure type of credit system. It wouldn't be on a monetary credit basis, but depending on your position in the society, you were allowed to have a certain comfort level, if you will, certain things you were allowed to have to buy, if you wanted to call it to buy, to go choir. And in terms of entertainment, they had entertainment. They had television, if I remember correctly now. They had radio of sorts. They had theater. They had many of the things which we have today, except they've been carried a little bit further. And they did have travel. You could travel to another city. They did have rail systems that covered, at least where I was in the United States. They had rail systems allegedly all over the planet, but they were not like we have them today. The rail systems were much wider. They were at least twice the width track-wise. The cars were two, two and a half times as wide. They were longer. And they were made out to be much more like an excursion trip, if you will, like you would go on an ocean liner on an excursion or on a uh, cruise. You would take a cruise on a train, if you will. You would get on it, and you'd have bands, you would have all kinds of entertainment, this sort of thing, you'd go across the country. Did, you ever, did you ever see a map of the world of that time period? Not that I recall now. Um, so you, you did at 2137, though, oh, right? Oh, yes. In 2137, I did. I did not see a map of the world at that era of the 28th century. Uh, I'm sure they existed, but I don't recall that they were shown. In fact, I didn't see it because it was not part of society. You weren't told much about what, we lived on the, what was on the outside. And there were those people, the heretics as they called them, who didn't want to be part of the society, this regimented socialism, if it were. It was free to a point, but it was also regimented because you had rules and regulations. And you were told this is the limits of what you could do. If you went outside of that, there's sort of a yellow zone. You were called in. The Lama gave you a reprimand. If you went in the red zone, it was a very serious case, like you would have today if somebody committed murder. Mm-hmm. Well, they had rules involving that kind of society, rules and regulations. And if you went outside of the normal zone or the red zone, uh, you were called in for not just a reprimand. Many people disappeared when never seen again. Now, whether they were eliminated on the spot or not, I can only assume that that was probably what happened to them. And they did have automobiles, so I never went out on one, and I understand there wasn't that much car travel. For those who were on the surface cities, they had to have transportation. Did everybody look pretty much the same, physically? There were variations in the human appearance, but the human appearance had changed a great deal in the sense that it was more refined. There was less variation in appearance than there is now. There was more of a genetic mold, which had much narrower limits than you see today genetically. Uh, I don't recall at this point in the 20th century that there was more than one race. It was Caucasian. Hmm. I don't remember seeing any other races. 
Now, outside of the, where I was, because I never took any long trips anyplace, there might well have been other races elsewhere in other parts of the planet that I never found out about, never inquired. What intrigued me was the fact that here is a synthetic intelligence computer running this whole system and we're actually running the planet. These things didn't build themselves. Who built them? That was where it got much more interesting because eventually I was introduced to the builders of the intelligence system, the computer systems. Who were the designers? Who were the builders? That's when I met these, this group. They were different. They were totally human, but they were different than the ones you typically saw. They ran 6263 average, extremely intelligent, genetically, I guess, is about as perfect as you could expect anyone to get. They were the result, as they told me, of genetic engineering that had been ongoing for centuries. And it was in the 26th century, they perhaps came from a long line of computer engineers. It was in the 26th century they decided to engage in the experiment of synthetic intelligence to see if they could run the whole planet. Probably Bill Gates' great-great-great-great-grandson. Very possibly. <laughs> Maybe Bill Gates' grandchildren or great-grandchildren. <laughs> but uh, that was the way I was introduced to them and that they were running everything behind the scenes. They kept totally out of sight. Uh, they didn't interfere with the computer operations unless something went wrong, and apparently there was one case of where the way the computers were programmed, as I understand it, they had a wide latitude of uh, operation, a wide latitude of what they could do, but there was one inbuilt function which was allegedly inviolate. They could never lie to anyone about anything. If they felt it inappropriate to give an answer on something, you just say, I can't give you an answer on that at this point, or that's not in your domain or whatever, but they wouldn't lie about it. One of them did lie, apparently, at one time, and one of them was scrapped and replaced. I felt there was some basic flaw in that unit that had gotten to the point where it could assume to lie. Whatever the reason was, it was destroyed. Was its name Hal? <laughs> From the famous movie? Yeah. <laughs> Not that well, I know of. Well, they say history repeats itself, you know. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. As I got to meet these people, I got to learn a lot more about prior history, prior to this point. And uh, as they said, they had undergone genetic engineering themselves from the 22nd and 23rd century. And they emerged as the perhaps one would say the dominant intelligent species on Earth. They had a name for themselves, which I'll give you in a minute or two. But they uh, literally the power behind the scene running this whole thing, and they were beginning to realize something, which I've learned since perhaps because of their writings, which have come back to this century. Uh, there was a major flaw, which they realized was possible, and what they told me, but it was only beginning to show up in the 28th century. And that was the fact that if you have pure socialism, a set of guidelines where society must adhere to, and everything's free, you lose incentive to create. You lose that creative ability. And you just fall into the pattern, and the pattern remains unchanging, there are no new inputs, and eventually the whole damn thing will collapse because there's no uh, reason to 
go ahead and do anything new. There's no reason to create anything new, and people will get tired of the same old thing eventually. And if they see nothing changing, no future, nothing that they can help to create, then that creative impulse is gone, and eventually society collapses and dies. Well, that, that, that's very strange because, I mean, you could look to present-day Soviet Union and find the same example there. That's you why communism You certainly don't. can. Communism so, is socialism under another name. Yeah, so it, it's, it's odd that they wouldn't have looked back into history to learn that lesson before creating the society they created. Well, one of the things they looked at and had perhaps as a consideration was the fact that in the 22nd, 23rd century, the world population was only around 300 million total. Mm. And uh, there was a definite decision, and of course this is in current day's data, the New World Order feels that the world, ideal world population would be around 500 million. It shouldn't be over 1 billion. Their natural resources and such cannot support it, sustain it indefinitely, which is beginning to show. But part, as part of that assumption of this century, apparently they considered the same thing, that the maximum desirable population on the planet should be around 500 million, and they're aiming everything at that 500 million population, which is where it was in the 28th century. And it was approaching that in the 25th, perhaps, from what they told me. But they wanted to try and make a system of socialism work because they didn't want to go back to all of the evils and the problems of the banking systems, particularly private banking, which have existed in the last 10 centuries, of this up to this time, and they didn't want to see that repeated with everything leading into wars and fights for the sake of profit and uh, what it did to humanity. Well, of course, that's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is it goaded humanity into advances. You create a problem, you find a solution. Whether the solution is how to beat your enemy in war or how to uh, get out into space before somebody else does or whatever it may be, go to defend yourself against an invasion, it creates a desire, an incentive for something, something which in the long run becomes perhaps productive and uh, adds to the sum total knowledge of humanity. But they felt, for whatever their reasons and choices, that they wanted to try an ex the grand experiment with socialism controlled by a highly intelligent synthetic intelligence system rather than by humans because they realized if humans control this, it gets out of hand. You get an elite group who runs the show and runs it for their own benefit and their own profit, which is exactly what's going on on the planet today. So were any of these computer programmers taking advantage of the fact that they wrote the program that controls everything? Or were they? As far they... as I could tell, they did not. They were really... Because they could have then controlled the world in with a sense, that power. They already, in a sense, they already did because they created the computers. And if they uh, found that a computer went out of its bounds of its own programming limits, they would pull it and re replace so, it. But they were pretty good folks then. Apparently, they were what you might call the perfect human. Yeah. That's uh, hard to say in a certain sense, but they seemed to be that. They had no self-desires in terms of gaining power or control. Or they were not ambitious. Control. They were not ambitious. Huh. And it's a very peculiar thing because they also had, separate from the main cities, they had their own culture, they had their own art, their own... Uh, I wouldn't say religious beliefs, but their own philosophical beliefs, which had gone beyond religion. Religion didn't exist, I might add, in the 28th century. It was uh, almost they, non-existent in 2137. What did they think of God, or what was their concept well, they, of God? They did, 
think of a supreme being, <clears throat> but they thought of it in a very different sense than most religions do today. Most religions today take a very narrow view of the punishing God and the uh, rewarding God, and uh, <clears throat> you do what he says, everything's fine. If you don't, he'll punish you. That's long gone in terms of their outlook. It's considered a supreme being that it is very difficult to get to know, that is beyond all of us in terms of awareness and understanding. But it, the God, learns through communicating through us and contacting us and being part of our experience, that we are part of God just as God is part of us, and it's a two-way street type thing. It's, it's a reciprocal arrangement, if you will. And the God is beyond the physical universe as we know it, but maintains contact with the physical universe through us. And that was apparently their attitude and their religion. And uh, you can find that information today in the network and the net and so forth under the name of the wingmakers, because that is what they call themselves. And according to what has turned up in current time, and I remember what they told me, they had made stashes all over the earth in about the 8th century A.D., which had been uncovered um, in the 20th century and into the 21st century. Three have been recovered so far, one in New Mexico, which was the first one. Well, <clears throat> stashes of what, though? Of their literature, of their science, of their... This is the wingmakers you're yes, talking about? This okay. is a buried underground, uh, what would you call them? Uh, <clears throat> time capsules, perhaps, is what would be the best thing they were, to show what their art and there was that they had, their music, uh, their technology, and whether or not there was a warning involved, that's hard to say because it fell immediately in the first site with the Chaco Canyon in New Mexico, fell immediately under the control of NSA. So the, are you saying that these engineers, these computer software engineers? Um, they're human engineers as well, and genetic engineers initially. Okay, are, are you saying that they were actually a byproduct of the wingmakers? They were the wingmakers. They were the wingmakers, okay. And, and the wingmakers then are alive and well today. They're alive 2000. and well today in the 28th century. Uh, they can apparently travel to this era, but they're not living per se in this era, mm -hmm. meaning the 20th century, 21st century. But they built these stashes, and uh, one of them was found in 1983 approximately in Chaco Canyon, New Mexico, on the surface, there was an Indian mound and an Indian uh, burial site, which, according to all of the geologists and archaeologists who looked at it, fit the, fitted the 8th century A.D. Everything fitted except they found one artifact in there that didn't fit at all, and that's what brought in NSA. There was a compass. Indians didn't have compasses. So NSA came in, then they thought this might be an alien stash, so they put in the ACIO, which is Advanced Contact Intelligence Organization, a super-secret group within NSA, with a certain secret group within that. And they couldn't find anything more than the compass, so 11 years later, they buried the thing, covered it over. I don't mean buried it physically in terms of rubble. They buried it in terms of an invisibility shield, and they totally hid the, the site. And about 1994, there's a earthquake in the area. Canyon Wall comes down, and they find was they, after that they went back to check it, and they found there was an entrance into an underground cavern system with a spiral staircase carved in the solid rock and a series of 23 rooms. And this information, of course, has been made available because one of the head archaeologists involved with it decided to 
the government had no right to keep this secret. So we put it out on the net. Now, whether he's still alive or not, we don't know, but they didn't get all the information out. Do you know who he was? Only by his code name is a Dr. Alexander. That's not his real name. Okay. And uh, he held a level 12 clearance in the current terminology of this century's uh, clearance levels in the U.S. government. There's up to a level 15 and beyond, probably. But a 15 was a director who was only known by the number 15. They didn't, nobody called him by his name, but... He was part of the ACIO operation, and uh, Ale- Alexander broke his, uh, so we say, his oath of secrecy in bringing the information out and getting it put on the net. But he had to crack <coughs> the codes of what they found in the 23rd room, and that was an optical disk, standard type like we know today, except they couldn't break the code. And... Uh, NSA has some pretty damn good code breakers. Mm-hmm. And there are some very good code breakers in the government. None of them could break it. Anderson went to work on it. It took him a year and a half. <clears throat> he knew something like 20 languages, including ancient Sanskrit. Did you actually know this individual, Mr. No. Alexander? No. I've okay, never so met this him. is secondhand knowledge. This then. is based off of the manuscripts taken off the network and the interviews of him by the one woman who put the, this whole manuscript on the Internet. All right, this is about the Internet. Okay. Right. I'm trying to, I'm trying to tr- tie this story that you're telling right now back to... Well, I'll, I'll tie it together. Okay. And uh, the information was buried at this time and era, and according to the interviews, of which two were on the net, they built seven of these stashes around the planet about the 8th century A.D., with the intent that they be found at some time in the future when the technology caught up with what they had accomplished and done in the way of hiding sites and burying them and recognizing certain key things like that compass that didn't belong with the Indian stash. So, you know, ACI got into it. They finally realized when they broke the code on the optical disk, which gave the whole history, gave us a lot of this science and technology, which apparently was not released on the net, uh, that this was not somebody from outside. This was a group of time travelers out of the future. And they put this stash, and that's what they said on the optical disk. We did this here. The art is strange if you see any of the work in the manuals. I don't. I can show you a manual, but I don't need to put it in this collection because it is available on the net still, so far as I know. If it turns out it's not available, we can add it to this. But their purpose, they stated, was to <coughs> guide humanity through some very rough periods. And apparently their desire at this time and having this stash and now three uncovered, uh, which to say there's four more, to be uncovered essentially at the tail end of the 20th century was the fact that we face a very major crisis in human history right about this time. And this is, of course, whether we go down the road of total... uh, blatant government control, a total dictatorship, or whether we retain, as in the U.S. and the Western nations, whether we retain an institution which is really called a constitutional republic, not a democracy. And uh, many of the nations of Europe also retain their republic status, or whether they go back to a monarchy system, or whether they go back to something worse. There is a, you might say, a saddle point right at this time, at the beginning of the 21st century, which way is humanity going to go? And that's one of the reasons the stashes were placed where we found at this time. 
And they're realizing that <clears throat> there must be communication back to this era and there must be some kind of guidance to get humanity through a very rough period because they face the possibility that because time is not frozen in a celluloid strip which is unchangeable, the whole thing throughout the entire loop, which is a time loop, is, shall we say, malleable. It is plastic. It can be reshaped. It can be changed. The past is essentially fixed in terms of us. <clears throat> what is our past is essentially fixed, but it's not entirely true. It can be reengineered and has been. But are they coming back to make their actual present time better? Is that their goal? Their goal is to straighten, as I understand it, and trying to put this together myself, their goal is to try and straighten out some of the problems they realize they now have in the future because in the year 3000 A.D. on, apparently there's no life on the planet. 6037 A.D. is dead. There's no life. And this, of course, is something which is not a desirable outcome for humanity. Okay, so they're still there in the 28th century, but what they're seeing is that year 3000 or somewhere around there life oh, is dead place around there they're okay. dead whether it's because of an alien invasion or because of a collapse of our society due to uh, <clears throat> but don't they have the t- the ability to time travel in the future obviously they I'm can sure go they in, the, do. in the past so they should know what happened then well, that's one of the reasons why i believe they're coming back to the present or will be coming back to the present one of the reasons why their stashes are being uncovered at this time Right. So there, this must be a real pivotal point. It is a very pivotal point. This the year 2000. Ten years, let's say, from 1990 through 2012, or let's say 1992 through 2012, if you want to put it in terms of a 20-year bracket. Mm-hmm. Because of the information we're getting through leakage from friends of mine who have connections with the near future, saying that there will be a world war in 2003, and there will be enormous destruction. All of the people who have looked at the, shall we say, the trends of history as well as the uh, predictions by various sources, both biblical and otherwise, indicate a tremendous war sometime in this decade, which will be very, very destructive of humanity and not leave much. Well, when you went to 2137, did they talk about a, oh, a yes, huge war? They did. Did they I was did in they the there have been a war in the... 21st century, which uh, essentially that and all the earth changes, which came all about the same time, were over by the year 2025, and from that point on they started to rebuild, but there wasn't much left to rebuild with, except they still had the technology, they hadn't lost it. Mm-hmm. Consequently, they had to start from nearly from scratch, not quite. If it hadn't been for the nuclear subs with their optical disks, if it hadn't been for the fact that some cities were unscathed and had a basis of of technology and manufacturing left so they could rebuild the rest of what they wanted, uh, there would have been a much worse situation. Hmm. Now, this is what I saw based on my departure point, which was 1943. Now, from 43 to now, meaning 2000, the year 2000, a lot of things have happened. A lot of people have changed their ideas, and there has been a very pivotal change in Earth's history in terms of what has happened in the last five years. Ostradamus, uh, the famous uh, seer of Virginia Beach, Virginia, and many Edgar others. Edgar Casey, Edgar Casey, mm-hmm. and uh, certain other people who have looked into the future have all saw a huge calamity befalling Earth 
in the last decade of this century, that is the 20th century, the last decade between 1990 and 2000. And many of them predicted a comet hitting Earth. Well, let us look at history, namely Hale-Bopp, 1998. Hale-Bopp came in close, passed around the Earth, this, speaking in terms of history as we know it, <clears throat> passed around the Earth at a safe distance and went on its way and split into six pieces after it passed the Earth. However, that's only telling the outward story. Hale and Bob discovered it two years prior, and they were given credit for it because they were the first astronomical scientists to see it that were of public record. And I emphasize a public record because of the fact that it was known to the military and to NASA ten years before that. Hale Bob was the largest comet ever to enter our system, and it was followed by an object behind it which was denied by all of the media and by all of the scientific groups because they didn't want the public to know what was going on. Hale-Bopp, of course, we have good computers today, and speaking of 1997-98, they predicted the course of the comet, of course. The first one said pass near the Earth but around it. Then they noticed there was a course correction. And they said, oh, it's getting cold, going to come much closer to the Earth. There was another course correction. At what point, I don't know, because I have not had access to all of the records. Only a certain friend of mine who was involved in this project knew. They knew it was on a direct collision course with Earth because it was being aimed directly at Earth. And they could predict this with the computers as much as a year, perhaps, before Hale-Bopp, quote, discovered the comet, unquote. Now, this information you're sharing with our listeners, where, where did this come from? Is this something that you knew about? Or? No, it comes from military sources and a friend of mine. Okay. Who was involved in this project? Was uh, in that was a project to uh, was a project blow up Hale-Bopp. Talk, mm-hmm. yeah, which okay. was uh, <clears throat> called Operation Sky Pebbles. It was mm-hmm. an Air Force project. And now the Long Coat Mafia podcast. It's a Long Coat Mafia podcast. <laughs> you screaming up! Ah! Welcome back, everybody. I know this episode was a long one. Uh, Once again, I hope you enjoyed the Covert Cast episode going into the whole uh, history and probably the pop culture behind the Philadelphia Experiment, the whole nine yards with that. And uh, hearing the, I hope you enjoyed the weirdness of the Al Bielik interview. Again, it was two parts sewn together. I had no clue of which one is which or which part was which. So I just put the what you heard in that particular order. Now, the update to that is that many, many people have claimed that Al was just lying through his rear end. Uh, so... Uh, take his interview with a grain of salt. Uh, a lot of, there have been a lot of debunkers in regards to what Al has said. I'm sure there is a Y Files uh, episode talking about the Philadelphia experiment and uh, going into a better explanation than what uh, uh, the covert cast and. Uh, has done and trying to explain where and how Al Bielik's interview was a kind of a fabrication, so to speak, of uh, 
everything that he went into. So uh, I'll try to link that in the description down below in regards to that. So uh, full credit to the folks behind the Y Files. It's a wonderful YouTube channel that does a co uh, coast to coast AM type of ordeal, uh, but with a more skeptical mind. But uh, shout outs to to him and Hecklefish and the whole nine yards on what he's doing there. But um, do I believe what uh, Al Billick stated personally? No, I do not. Uh, not in the least. It's it's entertaining. I'll put it like that. And uh, yes, it uh, like a friend of mine. I when he heard it, he he was listening to it uh, while he was uh, cleaning himself, so to speak. Meaning he was in the shower and he had to leech actually leave for like five minutes uh then come back turn it off to kind of redo wash the soap off and all that and kind of uh go back but uh and i understand why because if you listen to it while driving it makes you want to you know stop the car safely get out and go no um that yeah yeah it's that not due to belief that just the whole absurdity of it all uh it has a feeling of i know the gen xers and some of the millennials out there will say it has a weekly world news vibe to it meaning it's a crock of you know crap uh it shouldn't be believed but it's entertaining it's but on that note uh i'll leave you tell uh, tell us what you think of uh, the covert cast and what El Bielik said, uh, who you're taking more of a grain of salt and uh, what you think, what your thoughts of the whole Al Bielik interview uh, as a whole. So uh, if the podcast app you are uh, listening to has a comment se section, leave a comment there, start a discussion. Um, good chance we won't see it depending on which uh, app you uh listen to we probably won't see it uh so if you want to be a part of the discussion feel free to email us at longcoatmafia at gmail.com we'll read your emails on the air and uh me and sasha on the next episode when we when we record we'll talk about those emails and what was said and uh we promise we won't make fun of you or anything like that uh we'll, we take these emails at heart and uh we haven't had any yet, so be, please be the first. And we will thank you so much in regards to it. We'll keep the conversation going. Uh, if not, leave a uh, comment on one of the uh, promotional posts on our Facebook page. And our Facebook page is facebook.com slash the Long Coat Mafia podcast. All our links are in the description down below along with our uh, uh Ways you could support us. And speaking of support, just keep in mind because I forgot to mention it every time I do a Lost Media episode like this. Any links or uh, promotional stuff that the Slacker and the Man Crew or Dusty or those behind uh, uh, the Covert cast have put out are defunct and are not legit. So you're not going to be able to turn any turn in any codes or the whatnot for that. Uh, so, but again, we do have uh, a code of our own that is for W Energy. It is just head on over to dubby.gg and use code LCM Podcast at checkout for ten percent off your order. Just use the 
link in our description to uh, head on that way and uh, uh, shop W. We've been drinking the Cali Oak Cream. We got it. We're almost out of that tub. We have to, uh, within the probably next month or so, put in another order. And uh, so, uh, either way, we're going to let you guys and gals go. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And again, sorry for the length. It's long because we want you to have something to last the week. Take care, everybody. And if anything does come up, uh, well, we'll create an episode between now and the end of uh, start of next week. Take care. I'm the Reverend Godfather and I'm a gamer. I'm wearing a bikini. See you next time on the Long Coat Mafia.